attention, attention all personnel, it's MASHCAST! Hello and welcome to MASHCAST, the show that analyzes and celebrates, episode by episode, the greatest TV series of all time, MASH, which aired on CBS from 1972 to 1983. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, I'm your host, General Robert Iron Guts Kelly, and joining us this week in the VIP tent is returning VIP, Colonel Russell Burbage. Hi, Russell. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I love the dramatic pause there. So <laughs> nice to have you back uh, on MASHCast. Nice to talk to you again. Nice to be back. Best care anywhere. Absolutely. So before we get to the episode in question, which is, of course, season four, episode 15, The Price of Tomato Juice, uh, Russell, I mean, I think I kind of know your opinion about this because you were, of course, a commenter on my late lamented MASH blog, a very loyal commenter. But I want to, for the, for the group, explain, like, where are you about seasons four and five of MASH as compared to the previous seasons and compared to what the show would be later on? I am definitely on the uh, Burns, Potter, BJ uh, team. Um, I remember I was a kid when my parents, I think, started watching this show from the start. And um, I remember kind of nebulously the, the idea of Mary Tyler Moore and Bob Newhart and MASH and something else. And, and Carol Burnett, like, were all on Saturday night. Yep. And um, the families would, uh, we as a family would get together and watch it. I distinctly remember watching some of the third season. Um, and I remember that the last episode of the third season made my mother cry. And I remember being struck by, oh, TV has this huge power to make people, you know, affect people. Um, and then, oddly enough, I was in grade school, fourth or fifth grade, something like that. And Dynamite from Scholastic Books mm-hmm. had Mike Farrell and Harry Morgan and Alan Alda on the cover of one of their silly little issues. And I remember buying that and thinking, oh, MASH sounds like a show that I would like. And in hindsight, I think, what the hell were they doing trying to sell MASH to, to <laughs> elementary school kids? But it worked. I started watching it, and I, I watched it forever. I loved that combination. Seasons four and five are my favorites. And I'm definitely a Burns over Charles and definitely a BJ over Trapper guy. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I, I have that issue of Dynamite. I think you might have even sent it to me. I think uh, I may have sent that to you. Yeah, I think yeah. I found it at an antique mall or something yeah. and said, share the love. It's like, you've got to see what, what drew me into MASH. <laughs> oh, man, I, I love Dynamite Magazine. That's it. <laughs> at some point, somebody on the network has got to do an, a show about uh, Dynamite. That was a great, that's a great magazine. So, okay. <laughs> All right, so fair enough. Like I said, we're here to talk about episode 15, The Price of Tomato Juice. The original air date was December 16th, 1975, written by Larry Gilbert and Gene Reynolds and directed by Gene Reynolds. Radar sits down with a glass of tomato juice for lunch, which Colonel Potter takes notice of, having not seen it in donkey's years. Radar offers him his glass, which Potter gratefully accepts, savoring every drop. After Potter leaves, Radar gets the idea of procuring tomato juice regularly. He asks Klinger how they can get more, but Klinger says there's no chance. The can that they had arrived by mistake, so if they wanted more, it would have to be ordered specifically by the camp's requisition officer, Frank Burns. Radar enlists Hawkeye and BJ in the cause to see if they can help. They go to Frank, who will order the tomato juice in return for a favor, getting a pair of stockings for someone. They agree and go to Klinger for the stockings, who says they'll give, he'll give them up only if he gets a two-day pass for some R&R. They agree to that and get Radar to sneak a pass by Colonel Potter. But Colonel Potter notices and refuses to sign. 
Radar lays it on thick, saying Klinger is really stressed out and needs some relaxation. Potter goes along, but needs to check with General Barker, who has asked all commanders not to issue any R&R passes to Seoul for the next few days. He calls Barker and asks if he can send Klinger. Barker agrees, but then asks if Potter wouldn't mind sending Margaret to Seoul as well. Potter then asks Margaret, and she's thrilled at the idea of going to a cocktail party on the arm of a general, but she tries to pretend it's a selfless act. With Margaret packing to leave, the whole house of cards begins to collapse. Without Margaret around, Frank is depressed and refuses to order the tomato juice. Radar, in a panic, turns back to Hawkeye and BJ for help, so they try something desperate, sending Margaret some flowers and a card proposing marriage from Frank. They then go the other way, sending a note from Margaret to Frank, who's getting drunk in the officer's club, saying she wants to get together. While he's in a good mood, Radar gets him to sign the requisition for the tomato juice. Frank and Margaret get together, and the whole house of cards once again quickly falls apart. Meanwhile, a car for General Barker arrives, ready to pick up Major Houlihan. Hawkeye and BJ offer up a dolled-up clinger, looking like a 1940s movie starlet, ready for a night on the town. The next morning, Radar delivers another can of tomato juice, complete with white towel over his arm and served on a tray. But this time, Potter refuses it. Hawkeye, BJ, and Radar are stunned. Doesn't he love tomato juice? Potter does, but he forgot that he's allergic to it. So, <laughs> all right, Russell. So, uh, overall, we're going to go through it, obviously, you know, scene by scene. But overall, what are your general impressions of the price of tomato juice? This is one of my favorite episodes, and I, I don't know why, because it's it's kind of flimsy on plot, but it's got so many great lines and so many great kind of scenes of everybody gets like a, a moment or two together or, or or to shine, and it's it's just entertaining from start to finish. I, I just love this episode. I, while I do think it's a very funny show, I mean, every episode of season four is a funny show. I will say, I, I do think the premise is a little thin. And it does remind me, of course, of previous episodes, uh, like for the want of a boot episode, where favor for a favor for a favor, and it's this daisy chain that, of course, right. collapses at the very end. Uh, but I will say, at least um, on the part of uh, Larry Gilbert and Gene Reynolds, who wrote the episode, it ends in a different way in that it, it all pays off the way it's sort of supposed to, even though it all falls over, but it does. Pay but then there's a wah-wah at the end. <laughs> you know, he said that Potter forgets that he was even allergic to it in the beginning. But so, yeah, for it's it's a little more formulaic for season four, especially how much they would break the mold across this season. But again, again, you need to have episodes like that. I mean, they can't all be, <laughs> they can't all be uh, the interview or something. Well, I like the idea that, that this was their uh, first um, representation of of trying to do a scheme or or the daisy chain, as you say, with Potter rather than Blake. You know, it was very telling when Radar gives uh, tries to slide in that two day pass to Klinger for Potter, and unlike Blake or Henry, Potter's looking at his stuff he's signing. He's like, "What yeah. is this? Why why should I do this?" So right away, it's like, okay, you're wanting to compare and contrast Potter and and Henry because you can't pull the wool over. Potter's eyes. He's and at the very end, he says, "Well, I appreciate what you did, but next time, just ask me." So mm -hmm. it's basically the last show that they ever did with trying to scheme because there was no need to do it anymore. It was kind of like, if I agree with you, I'll sign whatever it is you're asking me to sign. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is something that I, I have here in my notes about the the scene with Radar trying to slip one past Colonel Potter, as you said, in, in contrast to Henry Blake 
it doesn't work. Raider even tries the kind of the double talk a little bit, which would have worked on Henry, but it doesn't work on Henry because Colonel Potter, as we all know, is very sharp. And right. I mean, even as the line about, you know, a pass, Klinger needs a pass, he needs a pass to get into the place. You know, I mean, he's just right. like completely you know, ridiculous notion that Klinger would need a two day, would be given a two day pass for any reason. The episode opens in the mess tent where uh, they're talking about that there's a lot of bugs in the camp, which is just kind of a random detail. They've talked about that in, in uh, obviously other episodes with the soldier of the month where they talk about the Korean hemorrhagic fever. They talk about that there's fleas. So obviously place is filthy. This was continuing going on with that. And then uh, Potter has the, uh, the glass. He gets the glass of tomato juice and radar is very, yeah, uh, Mike lips never touched the glass, sir. And uh, the, you know, and he even has a line about it's nice to do uh it's nice to do something nice for you, sir, which Hawkeye sort of comments on about a little, um, sort of making fun of Radar a little bit. And then uh, Klinger and Radar have the conversation about how am I going to get more? And then they do the whole requisition officer cut to Frank Burns. Now, this is a question I've asked across other episodes. Why would a doctor be the requisition officer? Doesn't he have enough to do that you give him this boring paperwork job? I mean, they... Aren't there, can't someone else do this? I know, I understand it's the mechanics of television screenwriting is that you, of course, you have to have your main characters involved in the plot, but it is absurd that they would ask a major in the U and a surgeon to be the camp's requisition officer. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that, but now that you say that, that that's a good point. I'm yeah, not I mean, sure why on. they do that. My, my question would be, why would he just not sign it? Why would he care if, if the war came, um, well, it went over budget, right? Yeah, I think right. that was a, that was a line from some other episode. It's like just sign, Frank. What's the big deal getting? Yeah, you know, tomato juice. <laughs> I almost think it's just Frank is just contrary, and if Radar wants it, he probably doesn't want to do it just because he's a jerk, right? Uh, just yeah. the way he is. So then there's a there's a nice moment uh, with uh, in the mess tent line with uh, with uh, Frank and Igor. And by the way, Igor, of course, played by our friend Jeff Maxwell. He says, I'm Private Maxwell. So they yeah. obviously at this point, they had not bothered to come up with the Igor Stravinsky, Stravinsky uh, joke. And so they just, I guess they figured, uh, just call him Maxwell. So here is Jeff Maxwell <laughs> is Private Maxwell here. And yeah. again, they, you know. That bit is very funny. It's like, the minute you're, you're, you come off uh, KP, you're going back on. It's yeah. like. Uh, what do I do with this? What, okay. I love the way Jeff Maxwell, he can see his eyes dart back and forth. He's trying to follow yeah. what Frank is saying. As as you, I'm already on KP, sir. As soon as you're coming, you're off, you're going back on. He's like, okay. You know, he's trying to understand <laughs> what the heck that means. So, um, they go, so then, then, uh, we go to a scene in post-op where Radar tries to enlist Hawkeye and, uh, and BJ in the attempt about the, trying to, you know, how they can win Frank over. Uh, Radar makes a very casual mention after Radar and, and BJ agree to help. He makes this really very sad, casual mention about, boy, if my little brother had lived, I bet he would have grown up to be you two. And Hawkeye says yeah, that would have been trick. a pretty neat <laughs> trick. And it's like, it, it's, there's something wonderfully human about the casualness of that comment in that the radar obviously is a tragedy that radar has a brother who is no longer living. And, and from what we understand from the kind of the way he says it died, maybe even as a child, which is right. a yeah. horrendous thing. And just the way he almost can sort of joke about it a little, there's something, I don't know. It's like the indomitable human spirit kind of thing that in people, the stuff people had to deal with, 
it's a really kind of horrific line when you think about it. But again, the way Berghoff yeah. sells it, it, you do get a chuckle out, even though it's very sad. Well, and it reminds me of, of some of my um, parents or my grandparents. And when they would talk about some of like the depression or the, the end of the depression, the beginning of the, the World War II era, and they'd say, oh, yeah, and then we had to do, you know, I, I don't remember off the top of my head, but something something horrific, like, oh, and then we had to eat, like, uh, a rabbit, or, or something. you're like, oh, wait, God. you caught a rabbit, and you skinned it, and you, wait, what? And it's, it's like, just the way that people did whatever they had to do, it's yeah. just kind of, it, times are different, and so when, when I heard that line, I thought, yeah, this is just one of those things where he grew up in Iowa, and, you know, historically, People had large families because kids died. You know, yeah, it, yeah. it it was just like, oh, OK, yeah, that's a little bit of character for him and a little bit of, of, of personality, too. It's like, oh, yeah, he loves these guys and he feels like he's he's close to them like a brother would have been. It was very nice. I, I did notice it. And then I, I liked it. Yeah, it's just it's it's sad and sweet all at the all at the same time. Yeah. Right oh, before that, there's this huge non sequitur that I've never understood when they're talking about how mean frank burns is and mm. bj said something about major burns wouldn't give a drowning man a glass, a glass of, water. of water right and radar and i look and say wait what and then bj says mr frank burns is not a nice guy or something i'm like mm. what the hell does that mean that he wouldn't give a drowning man a glass of water is I've that, just that supposed to be dry humor or what i don't know i've heard that before and i've never understood it the whole oh I've heard that before about you, you giving, he wouldn't give a drowning man a glass of water. I was like, what, what, <laughs> you know, like, why would you do that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I've never understood that myself. I don't understand okay. the, the right. derivation of it or anything like that, but yeah. Yeah. At least okay. radar, radar is again, radar is similarly like, what, like, well, why would you do that? And he's just yeah. making burns. Are you supposed no to give a man a drowning man a yeah. glass of water? That's why, why, exactly what my thought was. Yeah. Why, why would you do that? So, okay. So uh, we then catch up with uh, Burns and Father McKee in the, uh, in the shower room and there's this little bit about where he talks about the, how long the nurses take and they sit, sit, stay in here all day and scrub every inch of their body. And of course, he could be, you know, <laughs> Father Mulcahy, he's like, oh. and then he turns the water on. And he says, this cold water is a blessing. He's like, Whoa. Mm-hmm. And William then, is just awesome. Oh, he's wonderful in this. And I mean, I don't know. I, we have a, uh, we have a very curious uh, shower head in our, in our home here. And for some reason we cannot, <laughs> We are not able to modulate it very well where it's mm. either scalding hot or ice cold. And like, you have mm. to get it exactly right or you're doomed. <laughs> and I don't know about you, Russell, but like, I can tolerate scalding over ice cold. I don't know about it, but like, what, I, to me, ice cold is, would literally be torture for me. So I don't know how, first of all, I don't know how the 477 heats their water. For showers, yeah. I don't even understand the physics of that. Where, where is there a water heater somewhere in the in the camp? That doesn't make any sense. And if there isn't, asking people to get cold showers on a regular basis—that is, be, that's awful. <laughs> yeah, I believe uh, that is what they do. Though the military tends to have like a water tank or something, and they, you know, like the old petticoat junction, they just yep. spray the water down on you, and it's cold or lukewarm or what have you, whatever it is. Yeah. Oh, it's awful. It's just torture. Just absolutely the worst. So uh, then uh, Hawkeye and BJ show up and they ask Colonel Potter, they ask, excuse me, they ask uh, Frank a favor for Colonel Potter. And I love where he says, you could take your favor and, and stick it up your jumper. And uh, and I just love Father Mulcahy's William Christopher just, oh, dear. Like, he's just so <laughs> sad. He's just so upset that, that, that that's the level of animosity 
between uh, these these guys, and it just uh, he'd, he'd get so much mileage out of just two words. <laughs> um, he's got a great line right after that. He said, "You know, I hope you can see your way clear, Frank, uh, to help Colonel Potter. He's a good Christian, yet hardly dull at all." <laughs> that is a that's a great line. I do enjoy that. That he's just like, yeah, he's a really, you know, kind of straight arrow, straightforward guy, but he's not dull. Yeah, that's great. Um, I also, there's very, again, in that scene, there's a very curious line where, uh, where he says, this is for Colonel Potter. And Frank goes, oh, him, sarcastically. <laughs> and, and both Hawkeye and, and BJ kind of take notice of that. And they say, our commanding officer, Frank. And then he says, your commanding officer, Skizix, not mine. And it's so funny. I mean, we've gone through this, of course, over the, the course of the four seasons here. But it's like Frank is so military and so about the chain of command and so about being, you know, officious and all this kind of stuff. And yet here he is really directly saying he's not my commanding officer, yeah. which is just completely contrary to what everything Frank says he believes in. Yeah, that's basically insubordination, right? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. and he uses as an excuse that Potter made fun of him. Uh, where he says that, uh, you know, he says his brain has a Charlie horse. Give Frank a head and kick him in the shins kind of thing. Uh, well, so that, they- right after that, he's got one of my favorite lines. I almost picked it. He said um, he's got no consideration for people's feelings. He said it right in front of a bunch of enlisted creeps. Yeah. <laughs> so Frank has a lot of those types of lines in this episode where he says something and then you, you, wait, you, you have to stop a beat and say, think, wait, did he just say, wait, he just shot himself in the foot there like, mm-hmm. what yeah it's it's classic that's that's one of the reasons that season four is so great because you can watch them over and over again and and catch something different or, or catch a different beat uh when, when each time you listen or each time you watch it yeah it's that it's it's really really marvelous uh, he's always again he regards people as uh, non-officers as non-humans as as we know so uh then uh he finally frank finally you know uh, you know, gets uh, puts it across like what he's willing to do. Uh, he's willing to sign if uh, BJ and and uh, BJ get him, BJ and uh, Hawkeye get him the nylons. And then, of course, they <laughs> they decide to sort of layer it on thick, make freaking embarrassed by crawling into the shower with him and putting their arm around. <laughs> him. It just makes him yeah. horribly uncomfortable. <laughs> um, so then, of course, when you're talking nylons, that means Klinger. So we're cutting to Klinger, and he's doing his uh, laundry. And BJ and Hawkeye try and get him to, to uh, hand over the nylons. And he's like, I'm spending all my time doing KP. And then I have guard duty. When do I have time to uh, stretch out my nylons or iron a dress? And BJ is a really tough on a guy. You know, <laughs> he's just kind of going along with it. And then uh, I love the a bit about where uh, where uh, after Hawkeye makes the offer, he says, we'll get you the two-day pass. And I love that Klinger says, you know, uh, you're very persuasive. You would have made a terrific hood. And Hawkeye's like, oh, I'm still young yet. Uh, which I don't know. I love the way that they, I love the way Hawkeye and Klinger kid around together. It's very charming. Yes. Yes. So then of course, uh, we follow up with, uh, radar and Potter in Potter's office and there's, <laughs> he does, he tries to run the scam where he says, this is just some stuff that you don't need your glasses, sir. Just some stuff that we need to do. He says, this is a replace some sutures and Potter's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I love, he goes, and these are for some uh, some thermometers that got sat on, which makes me laugh every time. It's like just a regular bric-a-brac that goes on at the 477. The stuff gets broken all the time. Some yeah. thermometers that got sat on. It's just like, oh, 
okay. Um, and then, of course, the pass comes up, and Potter is, uh, you know, pass. He's gone AWOL four times this month. He's forever diggling, wriggling, flying, sliding, tunneling out of here, and he's the pass. He needs to pass to get into the place. And then Radar has to ad-lib a little when he talks about that he's uh, really burnt to a frazzle. And then they talk about General Barker. And, again, that whole shtick of the General Barker doesn't want anybody to come. And then Radar really, again, lays it on even thicker to the point that Potter even basically goes along with it. And I don't know. Is it is it weird that Radar is lying to Colonel Potter? I mean, he's directly lying to him at this point. Uh yeah, well, I guess I never really thought of it that way. It's it's more like you know, Klinger is going stir crazy. He's he's taking it the situation much more to heart than most of the other people, and he just needs a break. That's the whole point of he's trying to escape, right? So I thought he was just bending the truth a little. I guess so. And this again, this is still relatively early in their relationship. Where I mean, this is probably the episode in some ways that that Radar figures out that he can't get anything past Colonel Potter, and so they, as you said, like this is the end of the scams. They're not going to do really the scams anymore. Uh, while Radar is uh, trying to get a hold of General Barker, he enlists Sparky, of course, and he thanks Sparky for lending him Fanny Hill. Uh, what he says, the only thing uh, that was missing, the the last chapter was torn out. But um, it got to me. Uh, who did it? And then there's this pause. Everybody. Uh, so how did, I love that Radar is so innocent that he still thinks Fanny Hill is somehow like a mystery novel, even though yeah. he's, read, he's read it up until the last chapter. I mean, I think you could, I, I, I I've seen uh, an adaptation of Fanny Hill, but I've never read the book, but I'm pretty safe in assuming that, uh, there's a lot of sex in it before the last chapter. Yeah. Right. I, yeah. I always was confused. I haven't read it either, but I, I, I'm familiar with it and I think, it's not a mystery in any no. real way. I, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe there's some orgy scene in the last few chapters that, that I don't know anything about. That maybe, yeah, maybe so. so. Uh, if, if I'm recalling, I think I was always confusing that with um, Lady Chatterley's Lover. I remember there was an adaptation <laughs> of Lady Chatterley's Love with Adam West in it. And I was like, oh, wow, Batman's in this uh, d- dirty movie. <laughs> wow. Great. Yeah, oh, it was a big deal. So, okay, so uh, that's for another podcast. So anyway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Colonel Potter has a conversation with General Barker, and he finds out that Barker is willing, again, willing to trade a favor, where he is saying, uh, you know, if you send uh, Major Houlihan over, I'll allow Klinger. And that leads to, you know, Barker, and uh, Colonel Potter is a little a little dismayed by all this, but he goes along with it. And it leads to a great line where he says, uh, explains to Radar what the, what, what's going on there, and he says, uh, Maybe when this war is over, I'll get a few majors and go into business, which is great because he's sort of realizing that that uh, to someone like General Barker, having Major Houlihan in camp is sort of a major chit that he can play. It's just, <laughs> I just I like the idea of Colonel Potter like running a brothel in some weird way. <laughs> yeah, I didn't quite think of it in that term, but yeah, I, that is funny. Yeah. Um, the part of the that conversation that I always thought thought was charming was when. Um, Radar convinces Potter to to sign off on the pass because Potter has a soft spot for Klinger. He mm-hmm. he looks a little like my son and dresses a lot like my wife. <laughs> that, that adds a lot of the characteristics or the the personalities to to the relationship that I think will last for the rest of the season or the rest. I'm sorry, the rest of the show because he he likes Klinger even though he he has to discipline him and yell at him and et cetera et cetera. I think he likes him. So oh, he does totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Oh, like we talked about in the uh, the previous episode, the mail call again, where Klinger pulls the scam with the dead brothers. 
And, uh, you know, which is, again, one of the great all-time scenes between the two of them. And it ends with that thing about, you know, I'll be back. I'll be here. Like, he's almost enjoying it. He's, yeah. he's, he, he, knows he's, he knows he's never going to be fooled by Klinger's scams. And Klinger knows that Potter knows he's never going to be, you know, they both yeah. know each other. But yet they're kind of going to go through this dance together. Because it's almost yeah. like in some ways Potter's like, this is what Klinger needs to stay sane and keep doing his job. Then I'm willing to put up with it. I'm willing right. to put up with these not nonsensical things uh, just to keep Klinger here in camp. And that's, the, again, the hallmark of a great commander. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of different scenes where they're together, and they you can tell that they're I, – I would say that they're enjoying each other. You know, it's like, come on, Colonel, give me a, be- give me a break. And he's like, no, try harder. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's hilarious. I love the, the first few seasons, particularly because Klinger kept trying to get out of the Army. It, once he stopped doing that, it was not quite as funny. Right, right, right. Yeah, the show definitely took a different, a big shift at that point. So, after that, uh, after that scene, we're in the uh, in the OR where Margaret is helping Potter, and uh, he purchase, purchase, brings up the whole thing about uh, Barker. She mentions that she knows two General Barkers, which is interesting. Now, we of course have met one of them already in season one. Sorrel Book from Dukes of Hazard played General Barker. Uh, they say Brad Barker here. I don't remember if uh, if we ever find out the name of uh, the, the first one. So I don't know if this is the same General Barker or a different one, but okay. There, I don't, it's an interesting detail why they would say, I know two General Barkers. Like, well, I don't know why they would even bring that up. Like, why, why not just make it be General Barker? What difference is it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Uh, but it's a great scene between the two of them where, you know, Potter is trying to talk He's almost not, he's not trying to talk Margaret out of it, but he's, he's almost giving up the whole uh, invitation on her behalf and she doesn't want to give it up and she's trying to be subtle about it. And she even has the line about, you know, oh, I could be down in Seoul at a cocktail party and, and, but you know, I'd rather be here back with you draining a pus out of a leg. Right. <laughs> such a grotesque line. Like, oh man. I love that scene because they're both in their surgical masks and you really only get their eyes and their mm-hmm. body language. And when when he says General Barker and she says Brad Barker, General Brad Barker. Brad Barker or something, you can her eyes light up and her whole body kind of shines and you can see that she really wants to go see this this, this guy and, and hang out in Seoul, I guess. And it's just it's very well done acting you know the the two of them don't have any props that they can play with they've just got their eyes yeah yeah it's a it's a, it's a great scene between the the two of them and it ends on a funny note where uh, she you know she's trying so hard uh to pretend that she's doing this as a sacrifice and then but of course it slips through and she says you call brad general what's his name and potter says go over the top soldier Right. <laughs> uh, which is great. He's sort of noticing, okay, I know that you're really into the, he's picked up that she's really, really into this and it's fine. Yeah. Which is again, very warm. Again, once again, Colonel Potter, marvelous commander. He's able to figure out what each of his people need to get through their day and he gives it to them and if, if, if he can. Yes. Yes. But it was nice. And he winks at her mm-hmm. and it clearly he, likes or at least respects her and so it's it's this in the the tank scene from a couple episodes before you kind of see where that their relationship is now deepening way past where she and colonel blake were oh totally totally yeah 
Yeah, it's really very sweet. So following that, there's a scene in Margaret's tent where she explains that she's going, uh, basically leaving immediately to go to Seoul. This whole scene is cut in syndication. When I've seen oh, the episode in syndication, this, yeah, this whole scene is missing. This is that because this cla- this scene is classically funny mm-hmm. and just it's my favorite scene in the whole episode. It's oh, just is it really? Two of them. Yeah, I mean the the way he says something about I'm groveling to you to let me keep my self respect. <laughs> And General Barker, this probably is why she said there were two of them, because he says, General Barker, isn't he the one who asked you to spank him? And there's a beat, and she's like, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Like, wow. It's just, the the two of them, they're, oh, it's just, it makes me laugh every time I see the two of them play off each other this way. I love when he's like, why are you packing your, uh, packing those shoes? Well, there might be dancing at a meeting. Well, you know, you never know. And like, there might be dancing at a night meeting. Like, you know, like, of course, she's trying so hard to not clue him in on what all this means, but she can't help it. But she also kind of likes turning the screws to him a little bit because, again, he is a married man. So who is he to complain? But I love yeah. how upset he's getting where he's – and Larry Linville's voice gets higher and higher. Like, a yes. dancing meeting? Like, he gets, he gets more and more – A shrewd. night dancing meeting? Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah, that's great. So then Radar catches up with Frank and he asks him about the, uh, he gets, he's uh, got the stockings and, uh, you know, Frank and what's going to do with it. And then he finally says, you'd order the tomato juice. And it leads to a really very colorful uh, description where he says, if your colonel, you know, uh, needs tomato juice so, needs his precious um, uh, tomato juice so much, you could stick two tomatoes in his mouth, put his, uh, take him down to the motor pool and put his head in a vice, which is very imaginative for Frank. And I even love that there's the, the, the button on that of, of a radar mimicking a head yeah. being put in a vice. And he's just like, oh, he's just shocked at the idea that someone would say that about beloved Colonel Pond. Yeah. And I have that written down in my notes that it was, um, wow, that is one of the most blatantly mean or, or evil things that Frank has ever said. I mean, he's, he's bad most of the time but you know the way he's just sniveling and then you're precious colonel and could go throw his head in a vice you're like wow yeah that, this guy is is angry <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i said it's a, he's very op- openly contemptuous of colonel potter uh, so then back in the swamp we have a uh, bunch of physical comedy here where the bugs are obviously out of control because you've got both <laughs> BJ with a fly swatter and Hawkeye with some sort of can of uh, disinfectant and they're spraying it and poor radar is, is dejected and they, you know, they have a little heart to heart about, you know, what makes him so mad. And it's interesting that, that, that uh, BJ is the one with the description where he says they're kind right. of two beat up people. And it's like, he's only been here, what, a couple of months and yet he's already got a beat on these two. I'm sure part of it is, uh, thanks to Hawkeye, but he's also noticed that himself. And I just love that it, they give that line to BJ as opposed to Hawkeye. I think that's very, again, it's a great way of giving BJ this new character more and more to do and making him, you know, frankly, more of an equal character than, than, you know, Trapper ever was. Right. That's, that's absolutely right. Because I think Hawkeye would be like, Oh, he's just a jerk or he's, he's a, a terrible guy or blah, blah, blah. Whereas BJ is more, emotional or or if that's the right word when he he sees he cuts to the heart of it and says yeah the two between the two of them they barely have a heart together right so they're both lonely people they all they're they've 
each other is all they've got. It's, it's, it's very astute of him mm-hmm. to notice this. Whereas Hawkeye is more like just dismissive, like, Oh yeah, Frank's a jerk. That's right. why. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> I wish when I, I watch season four, I, I sometimes transpose Trapper and, and BJ in my head to say, well, what if this had been a Trapper episode? Because you know, a lot of the earliest ones were written with Trapper in mind, right? right. I mean, they didn't necessarily know that, that Wayne Rogers was going to walk out. And it's like, you know, if this one in the, the Moose and Man and some of those episodes where BJ gets a lot to do, I really just wish they had, well, I guess I don't. I was about to say, I wish they had done more with Trapper, but we get, we end up with BJ. So that's, that's fine. But it's, it's a shame to see some of the earlier episodes because Trapper could have been a much more well-rounded character if he didn't yeah. more to do. Yeah. They'd given Trapper some of these moments. Um, so then uh, at least again, another piece of physical comedy where, there's obviously a big swarm of bugs and uh, Hawkeye starts shooting the sprayer and then it breaks off and the, the little handle <laughs> that's inside the sprayer breaks off and that's all he's left with. And he starts presumably mimicking, banging, banging at the bugs with the metal handle and makes a bunch of noise. And I love that Raider goes, what the hell is that? Which, that fe- again, I say this virtually every episode where that feels like an ad lib. It probably yeah. wasn't, but it feels like it because it's just, what a weird joke to like pull the little tong out and start banging the, uh, the, the uh, stove with it in an attempt to kill a bug with that. Yeah. And the way Radar reacts, it feels very genuine. Yeah. Way. And Radar generally, I wouldn't say, you know, H-E double toothpicks, right? So he's not yep. the type of guy who would actually say hell. It sounds very much like, Gary Berghoff, Gary Berghoff, Alan Alda, pull the the handle out or start banging around or whatever. You know, the script probably said, you know, wave around, try to kill bugs. And he, I I can imagine him saying, what the hell is that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's very funny. Yeah. If if Larry and Gene hadn't agreed to it, they, I'm sure they would have cut it, but it's, it's, it felt genuine. So then radar shows up at, uh, uh, Margaret's 10 with the note. And again, we don't, you know, we don't learn that that's what they're doing. We see in the, in the, obviously that they've crafted this plan and, uh, she delivers some flowers and there's some great little kind of nonsense, uh, malapropisms back and forth between Margaret and radar where they talk about the, the car that's picking her up, a general's car. And Raider's like, uh, Raider's like a car, a car with stars, a stars car. And it's just, it's just kind of just <laughs> nonsensical stuff, but it's, yeah, it's Mash could do all sorts of jokes like that and do all sorts of humor. And then she sees the note, uh, about the proposal. And, you know, I watched this and I know that they were, they were adjusting this plan on the fly. Uh, right. because, because, but I do wonder, like, what, how did they think this was going to pay off? How did they, yeah. they really think that Radar, that, that Frank was going to propose? To Margaret, they're like, this was going to, I guess they were just like, just get the signature and we'll worry about the rest later or something. Yeah, I, I have it in my notes that I would have loved to have seen more of that scene after Klingart drives away. You know, what happens? What's the fallout from pretending to, to have Frank propose to her? She would have been livid. Yeah. And she would have come in and yelled at them, right? I mean, I, we, I guess we have to imagine, but it would have been nice to have a, um, one of those more bittersweet or melancholy type scenes where she's, oh, you know, not foiled again, but, you know, made a fool of again, or, or I hate it here because they're so mean to me. I mean, I just wanted to go to Seoul and she has no idea why they're doing any of the things that they're doing. Right. right so, right. and they can't really come clean and say, well, we did it to try to get tomato juice for Colonel Potter. No, <laughs> it, what she says is, you know, you sent Frank over here thinking that, 
I was ready to, to sleep with him for nothing. You know, it's, they're toying with her affections. And it's just, Seriously. I would have liked to have seen some more of the ramifications rather than, oh, now we're back. We're immediately back into sitcom mode where everybody's laughing and Klinger is in a dress and drives away. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, you know, Margaret clearly wants this really badly. And then she, you know, we basically are going to find out that, that, you know, they just, we're going to see the next scene uh, that it's, it's not real. It's not real, but yeah, Margaret doesn't seem to suffer any sort of emotional damage from that. They just kind of roll with it. And it's like, Oh, wow. All right. It's kind of a big deal. Um, yeah. So then in the, um, in the O club, we see uh, a drunk Frank talking to Klinger and he starts, you know, he talks about, he feels sorry for himself and he's moping. And then radar comes in and brings the note and he, and he says, uh, don't sell romance short, everybody. And then as he walks away, he says, drinks are on me, everybody. And then there's, of course, a large pain saying that the place is completely empty. So, <laughs> um, so then, uh, then the Margaret and Frank are back in Margaret's tent and he has one of the great all time Frank Burns lines where, she says, it took so much courage for you to say this. And he's like, well, courage is just something you can't be afraid to have. It's just, yeah, <laughs> that's, up, that's up there with it's nice to be nice to the nice. It's just one of the, it's like just again, just gibberish coming out of his mouth. And it's funny where the, they slowly and, and, and almost painfully come uh, around to what's actually happening. And we're, we're in the, in the mill already. And so we're kind of squinting saying, Oh, they're going to realize that they've both been had. And it's like, no, seriously, who else do you know named Frank? And Frank like, who? Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. It's, poor, poor Margaret and, and kind of poor Frank. I mean, that, that's, yeah, I feel a little bit sorry for them now in that scene. A little bit, a little bit. Cause they are, it is pretty, it's understandable, but it's a pretty nasty joke to pull on them really. Yeah. Um, but then uh, we see the uh, General Parker's driver arrive. This is the only guest actor in the show. Uh, this actor is uh, James Jeter. He plays the driver. He died in 2007. He had quite a career in movies and television. He appeared in shows like Batman, Chips, Bonanza, and he was in movies like Blowout, A Perfect World, The Sand Pebbles, Black Sunday. I mean, that's pretty, wow. pretty, pretty, yeah, pretty, pretty substantial career. And, um, yeah, and then so then uh, he goes to pick up Margaret, and of course they bring out uh, Klinger dressed again like he's uh, it's it's like a nineteen forties uh, Hollywood uh, glamour queen, and uh, the driver gets a great line where he's like, "Can't be," and like, "What's what's the matter?" He's like, "She looks like that woman looks like she needs a shave." So she and then okay, she's been on duty all day, which is, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, and, and I like that they they wave goodbye to him. Kind of like they're like the ugly stepsisters or something. Yeah, and yeah, Klinger, Klinger exactly waves right. back and then catches himself like, oh, you guys. And he's just <laughs> going, into, going into the hill. And then Klinger drives off. And then the next scene is uh, presumably the next day where we're back in the mess tent. And Radar is delivering the tomato juice with as much pomp and circumstance as he's got. Again, he's got the towel over his arm. And he brings the glass over on just a single plate. Uh, like it's so special. And of course, as we said, Colonel Potter just completely dismisses it offhanded and, and, uh, Hawkeye and BJ are just flabbergasted and radar a little like he's a, he's a little slower on the uptake to pick up that Potter's not, uh, liking it. And then he finally says, Oh yeah, no, I love it, but it doesn't love me. At the last class you gave me, I woke up in the middle of the night with my nose stuffed to the rafters looking like I was wearing someone else's face which is an amazing description. 
I can't touch the stuff. And he hands it back to Radar. And it ends with just <laughs> with Hawkeye and uh, Hawkeye and BJ just standing there just like, ah, yeah, no good deed goes unpunished. And right. poor, poor Radar walks off dejectedly, which is so sad because like I said a sad Radar is like a sad puppy. Yes, yes. And there's a fly in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On top of it. And then uh, there is a button scene, and this was also cut in syndication. I never saw this until I got to the DVDs, where we find out that they told Potter the whole bit, and he says it was basically a waste of time. And he says, and Potter says, kindness is never a waste of time. And only the next time you want to give me a surprise, uh, just tell me what it is first, which is yeah. <laughs> nice thing. And then it ends with uh, Klinger coming back from the uh, the date with General Barker, and we get another appearance by James Jeter. And we find out that... Uh, he really hit it off with General Barker. He, says yeah. he had a million laughs. And yeah. It, so did Barker not know? Is that what that is? Or are they, I don't know. What are they saying here? I, well, no, I, he had to have known that Klinger wasn't Margaret, but it just, I, as a kid, it always confused me with Klinger and doing things like that. It's like, so is the general like make a pass at him or what is, did they just hang out or? It's just, it boggles my mind. I mean, clearly Klinger's a fun guy, and if he's yes. around and just relaxing, you'd have a good time. And, you know, the, the officers mess, they always sing and, and, and enjoy each other, everybody's company. But it's just like, wait, what kind of transvestite type, you know, I don't want to label anything, but what what kind of things are happening here? <laughs> he has the line about there was the senator that couldn't keep his hands off me. And yeah, he, right, right, and right. He doesn't seem terribly offended by that. He seems kind of complimented, really. It was just like, yeah. okay. Yeah, but I remember being confused as a kid. It's like, what yeah. is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and that's the, the, and it ends with a, another uh, fly gag where they, they swatted a fly. And that's, that's the end of the episode. That's the end of uh, the price of Tomeju. So, as I said at the top of the show, I think it's regarding, se- as a season four show, it's one of their lesser ones because it is, I think, a little formula. But as you pointed out, Russell, it, tweaks the formula in a way that makes it interesting and makes it specific to this season in that, yes, the, the, you would be able to get away with this if it was Henry, because you could just put a piece of paper under his nose and he wouldn't notice. But Potter gums up the word. He's a fly in the ointment, if you will, because he, he, the whole thing has to get enlarged because Potter is a lot sharper uh, at, at this kind of stuff. So it's specific to these characters, which is nice. So overall, it's a really fun episode. Again, a little bit lesser, but even a lesser mash is better than most most other TV shows at their best. So still a really, really fun show. Well, and I'd support this episode as, as one of the best because it's got the, the character bits that we talked about. BJ, you know, hitting the, the, the heart of the Burns-Houlihan uh, relationship right there. And, and Margaret and Frank, you know, I can't help but think in that scene where where she sends him away that she's beginning to see that this is a one one way street and he's yep. never going to marry her and she is wasting her time. You know, you yep. get part of it is, you know, flash forward, flash back. You see what happens in the next 11 years. But even at this time, you can guess that all right, she's not going to stay with him forever. She's she sees the light that says he's he's not for her. Yep. So that's nice. I mean, there was, there was, there were a couple episodes in, in the first three or four years where they would have some of those conflicts, um, hot lips and empty arms and, and episodes like that where you get a glimpse. But this one was especially like, Oh, you're going to marry, marry me. And he's like, 
seriously, who, Frank who? And you're like, oh, obviously he is not going to ever divorce his wife. And I think that look on her face when, when she's kind of lit up and she just fades, she's like, oh, this was all a joke or, or a gag or, you know, whatever worst word you might want to use. So I would, I would argue that this is a great episode for that, for Loretta Swit and for, for Mike Farrell and for, for uh, Jamie Farr, because you get him too being like, I'm committed to my job, but I also want to continue my hobby, quote unquote, <laughs> to, to do his um, stockings and his dresses and stuff. And it's, he's, he's a fun guy. And you can see that the whole relationships are blossoming all over the place, the powder and radar. It's, it's a lot more de- deep than some of the later episodes are. So I, I would say this is another classic classic. <laughs> Fair enough. So, all right. So do you have a favorite line or joke from the show? Well, I, I think I've said all of my favorite lines or jokes, um, but I'm so lonely. I could kiss a gopher and then Hawkeye sprays BJ in the mouth <laughs> with the insecticide. And he says, I think I just did. You know, that's, <laughs> that's funny. All of these lines make me laugh. The, when Potter's on the phone talking to General Barker or about to talk to General Barker, and he says, oh, yeah, he's the guy who would dress up like a Nazi. <laughs> for for parties or something and radar's like aghast at, yeah. at the idea um and they want to know if he wants to know if cleaner's pretty you know it's like yeah. what what that is great no he's not pretty and then they look at each other like what it's <laughs> a, a good bit <laughs> so um but i think my favorite is probably that that whole scene with margaret and and burns where they're like general barker isn't he the one who asked you to spank him and she gives him a blank look and says i don't think so and it's like a night dancing meeting. <laughs> you know, it's like, come on, Frank, put two and two together. She's yeah. going to a party. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <That's> a <laughs> I do love it. Loretta Switz line read there. I don't, I don't believe so. Like she's just <laughs> being coy about it. It's really great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my favorite joke is actually more of a physical gag where in the shower, Frank is talking and then Hawkeye interrupts him staring at Frank's head. And he says, wait oh. a minute. And he grabs the towel and smacks, smacks Frank in the head. And yes. he meant to be a fly. And then Frank says, did you get it? And Hawkeye goes, get what? Which is, yeah. <laughs> he just did that as a way to smack Frank in the head with his towel. I think that's a great, yeah. I just, I, that makes me laugh every time I hear it. It's just really, really funny. So yeah, yeah this really solid show. This, yeah, really solid show. This episode makes me laugh from start to finish. And I, I just, I get the giggles knowing that there's these scenes coming up and these laughs are coming. So, um, Classic season four, everything is, well, 99% of the episodes are, are, are perfect. Um, this is one of those that's really, really good. Absolutely. So, well, Russell, thank you so much for coming back to MASHCast. I always appreciate it. I always, always like talking to you. So why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the Internet? Uh, right now I am traveling through the time stream. I'm on the Legion of Super Bloggers. And that's about it right now. I'm fighting some time trapper uh macadation so um right now that's where i am you can find me on the lead in the legion of superheroes even though the legion actually doesn't have a book right now um that's where i am all right fair enough okay so uh all right everybody of course we're always talking mash over on twitter at mash 477 cast you can find all the episodes of the show back on our website findwaterpodcast.com you can subscribe to the show on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher and amazon music and finally, if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, you just go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast, and there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So a big salute to Nicholas Prom 
Russell Burbage, Stan Peel, Dolph DeVries, Rich Ram, Mike Thomas, and Michael Porter for their support of MASHCast. I very much appreciate it. So uh, that's going to do it for this episode. We'll be back next week. But until then, that is all. Sir, I just thought you might be interested in knowing. I just crossed the compound. I have no interest in the compound. He has no compound interest.